Welcome to the Alliance Specialty Podcast with today's host, Lorraine Lewis. Good morning, everybody. This is Lorraine Lewis with Alliance Senior Living Solutions. And as we are looking forward to National Assisted Living Week, September 12th through the 18th, I thought it would be fun to have a little interview with my friend, Alan Brown, who has the privilege of becoming a brand new CEO right before a pandemic. And I thought he might like to talk to us about what that was like. So Alan, if you would, I don't think very many CEOs get to embark on their new journey two months before a pandemic starts. Can you share with us a little bit about what that might've been like? Well, it was an interesting time to make a job change for sure. As I began my work with Methodist Retirement Communities in April of 2020, of course, things started heating up with COVID in March and getting into the shutdowns by the end of the month. So make a transition where you come in and really can't visit campuses to start. It was a difficult time. And then really navigating the policies and procedures we had to put in place to keep people safe when there wasn't a lot of good information available back then, or we didn't know what information to trust or to follow, dealing with regulatory guidelines, and then really dealing with what would come to be with our residents of loneliness, helplessness, and boredom uh, and isolation, which were equally as problematic as COVID itself. But the good news is it was a great time to join the organization because I really got to see how our team performed under the worst situations and really did outstanding work uh, in the last over a year now. Our employees have just been phenomenal. Our residents have been phenomenal. And we've made the the best out of a out of a difficult situation. The last time I had the privilege of being in your boardroom, you shared with me what I thought were some really creative ways to just try to support your residents to see family members. Can you share a little bit about some of the things that you did that were I think somewhat creative and perhaps unconventional, but probably really made a difference in helping people stay connected with their loved ones. Early on, I challenged our team to abide by the rules that were placed on us, but also come up with ways that we could still have interaction with families. And, you know, computers or FaceTime is okay, but that's not real engagement, although many days that was the best we could do. So I challenged our teams to think about how we could do that. Early on, we created what we call visitation booths, which were a plexiglass little room where family members could come in from an exterior door. And then we would have their family member on the other side. So they were separated by plexiglass, but at least there was face-to-face contact and interaction and the feel like I'm seeing somebody. One of our campuses created what they called a hugging wall, where it was basically some bisqueen that had gloves made into it going both ways. So residents and family members could come in and hug each other. And we had a way to clean that between uses. So that was very positive. We had a family member who works for NASA and uh, is an engineer. And he helped us come up with the idea of a visitation trailer, which it was outside. So we took a enclosed trailer, had two entrances, had two air filtration systems and air conditioners where we could take residents in one end and then family members in the other end so they could have a private space to visit in this trailers. And we actually won a Innovation of the Year Award with Leading Age Texas for that. So again, just ta- challenging our teams to come up with new ways to, to solve the problem and deal with the, the loneliness and isolation. So I'm grateful for our teams. They did a phenomenal job. 
I mean, those ideas are so creative. And I love when you talk about combating what you call that plague of loneliness, hopelessness, and boredom. Unpack that a little bit further for me, because I mean, I think that's such a beautiful word picture, honestly, of, of what people struggle with. And I know you guys have, know that your heart is, is to really address that for your residents. Well, a lot of times as you age, your world gets smaller and smaller. You may see family less. There may be health challenges. You may lose connections with your church, with your friends, or you're outliving your friends. Maybe you can't drive any longer. And many times that leads to loneliness, helplessness, and boredom. And we want our campuses to be places of engagement. We are now part of the Eden Alternative, which addresses these things with spontaneity, with engagement, with kids, plants, just opportunities for meaningful engagement. Whatever residents enjoyed doing before they moved our campus, there's no reason to give that up. And uh, it's not all staff-led. It's resident-led as well. But there's no reason why, as folks age, they can't continue to learn and grow as people. And the same thing for our staff as well, giving them opportunities to, to grow as people. So that's what we're focused on with Methodist Retirement Communities as we go forward, just to be places of engagement and meaningful life. You know, as you're trying to engage with folks in that way, is that something, I mean, I know MRC has always done a really good job, I think, of caring for residents and trying to be innovative. Have you seen any new or different results? Is this a new initiative or would you say this was already part of the DNA of what you guys were doing? I think it was already a part of the DNA of what we're doing, but now we're formally recognizing it and saying this is what we want to focus on. And we want to have opportunities for personal growth, not only for residents, for staff. And, you know, I can give you an example. The, our Mirador campus started a few years ago a resident-led scholarship program for employees so they could continue their education. It's totally run by residents, and they raise funds through estate sales and all kinds of different fundraisers, built a scholarship fund, and in the last six years have awarded $65,000 in scholarships to our employees. The employees write a letter justifying the need and what their dreams are in life. The residents review those, make decisions. And when I saw that, I said, we've got to replicate that. It's a win-win thing. It gives our residents purpose and meaning. It connects them with our employees and lets them improve their lives. So we put a group of five residents on the road to visit all of our other campuses, share the story. At our Langford campus in College Station, that's already taken off. They've raised $18,000, and tomorrow they're awarding six scholarships to frontline employees. So we're replicating that across the state in this difficult time where it's hard to find and recruit employees. I mean, what are the things that set us apart? And it's okay if people come to work for us and they improve their lives or get a degree and go on to something else. We've been a part of the journey. So it's a win-win, not only for our residents, but also for the employee. I love that. That is so powerful and creative. One of the other things you shared with me is that you guys were really focused on being resident-focused versus being medically driven as an organization. What does that look and feel like at an MRC campus? Well, the decisions that we make when it comes to the uh, licensed areas of assisted living, memory care, and skilled nursing are not necessarily driven by the medical model. It's driven by the person and, you know, what is home and what is life supposed to look like. And life does not need to be directed by medical care every day. Those things are important, but we want folks to live their lives and, again, have that engagement and purpose. And then we're also going to meet their, their medical needs. And it's not letting medical needs dictate the 
the rhythms of daily life where everybody has to be up at a certain time or the medications all given at a certain time. When folks go to a hospital, the first questions they have are, how am I doing and when am I going home? And we don't want to be set up like that. Traditional nursing homes have come out of that hospital model and enough is enough. <laughs> People don't want to spend the rest of their days in a hospital. So we're looking at how we change that. The Eden Alternatives is part of that, possibly new models of care and just the way that we treat people. So we're excited about where we're going with that. No, that, that is exciting. You know, one of the things I had shared with some of my colleagues is this whole pandemic has been really this unusual experience for all of us, regardless of whatever milieu you know you operate in in terms of your day-to-day work. And you know, for me, I feel like it's like a walk in the wilderness, right? Like we're in this strange place. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know when we're going to get out. And, and so it's just, it's been transformative for all of us in so many ways. You know, as you survey the landscape for senior living, now 18 months into this journey. Any thoughts or reflections in terms of what it's been or what you see moving forward? Historically, no one has paid attention to the needs of older adults. And when you look at Texas, we have some of the worst reimbursement, or if not the worst reimbursement, all the United States for caring for people in nursing homes. I think on Medicaid, we're paid about $130 a day. And folks can't even find a nice hotel for that, but we're supposed to care for an elder and give them skilled nursing care and meet all their needs. And then when everything blows up on the news about all these things out of control in nursing homes and the pandemic, it makes it look like, oh, these are horrible places. People aren't doing their job. So number one, those were underfunded and no one pays attention to older people, but they want to make it a political thing uh, Mm -hmm. when they can related to the virus. But as we come out of that, I hope we've gotten people's attention. Number one, our organization did a phenomenal job of taking care of people. We didn't have outbreaks. We did have some cases, and but it wasn't any widespread outbreaks over the last 14 months. It's been spread around. You know, we serve 2,000 residents every day. So I'm grateful for that. And that's a tribute to our team and the job that we do. And now we've got to tell our story that, hey, we do a great job. These are great places to live. It's about life. It's not about a place where you go to die or be mistreated or be exposed to, to viruses and those kinds of things. So we've got to tell that story and change the narrative and hopefully get somebody's attention. Now there's a lot of stimulus money that's been thrown our way, but that doesn't fix the long-term problem. How do we adequately fund services for older adults? The problem is going to continue to grow. Or, you know, We talk about all the baby boomers that are coming which was great, but a lot of baby boomers don't have the money to afford what they will need in the future. So how does that get funded? How does it get taken care of? And it gets frustrating that it just just keeps being punted on down the road and no one wants to address it. So hopefully now, if anything comes out of COVID, it's brought light to this and, hey, we need to deal with this and what's the future of elder care look like? No, I think that's a great insight, Alan. Truly, One of the things that struck me as the pandemic unfolded, initially, there was so much emphasis placed on hospital workers, which, of course, we love our hospital workers and our first responders, but they provide episodic care. You know, we go, we take care of the problem, and then we leave. And, you know, really what you're doing is you're providing care for life. And and there's a lot of dignity that needs to be involved in that. And so one of my hopes coming out of the pandemic, I mean, there's been both positive and negative press for nursing homes, but certainly... I think for our most fragile, great Americans, our seniors that are in many of these senior living facilities, my hope is that there will be more of an emphasis 
in recognizing their needs and also that you guys are healthcare heroes. I mean, that was one of the things that I was really struck by. You know, we were flying jets and all kinds of stuff over hospitals, which I'm fully supportive of. But I mean, I don't know if if the Air Force flew over MRC's campuses, but they should, because it's, you guys are really running the marathons. It's hard to run right. that sprint when you're in the hospital. It's intense and it's that acute care setting, but boy, talk to somebody running a marathon and you talk to somebody who's done a good work. Yeah, our folks, they are heroes. And when you think about donning that protective gear, coming to work eight, 12 hour shifts, picking up extra days, and I mean, that stuff is miserable to work in. And then you're dealing with the fact that you have residents that you deeply care about. They're isolated from their families. Family frustrations come into play. They can't see mom or dad. So how do we bridge that gap? How do we fill that void for family? How do we assure families? So it's been a, it's been a challenging time. Well, Alan, I would like to thank you for generously giving us your time and sharing your story with us. It's a remarkable story, and you guys are absolutely our healthcare heroes. Thank you for running the marathon, and thank you for making it a great race. And to our audience, if you would like more information, please come find me at www.alliant.com, and my email address is llewis, L-L-E-W-I-S, at alliant.com. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening. And for more information, visit us at www.alliant.com.